Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'll be talking to a pro-life activist that most of you will know, but very few of you will know much about, and that is Laura Clausen of Choice for Two. I met her a couple of years ago when she was just starting up her organization, and since then she's done something very few pro-life activists have. She has come up with a unique approach to targeting the abortion industry. And she has done so by creating viral videos. You've probably seen some or all of them. Uh, Her most famous viral video is the Magical Birth Canal, in which she exposes just how ridiculous the pro-choice worldview fundamentally is. And since then, there have been more than half a dozen other videos in the so-called Just Saying series. And so uh, we'll show you one of these videos before the interview with her begins. So if you haven't seen them, you can get a taste for what it is that Laura Clausen and Choice for Two actually do. Uh, But in the meantime, I just want you to keep in mind that there are pro-life organizations right around the world doing absolutely incredible work. Many of them are doing very unique work. And Laura Clausen over at Choice for Two is doing something I think that's really interesting, especially in a social media age. And she and her team have come up with a different way of reaching young people on this issue. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with Laura Clausen of Choice for Two with you. Human rights. You may think you've always had yours. But you would be wrong. So how did you get your human rights? From the magical birth canal, of course. Disclaimer, birth canal is not the size of an actual birth canal. Just saying. Before the baby or fetus is born, it is not a human being. Clearly. But as it passes through the birth canal, something amazing happens that transforms it into a person. With human rights. Observe. Not a person. Not a person. Not a person. Coming out the other end. A person! Human rights! Congratulations, you now have value. Can't say the same for this one. So what exactly happens in the birth canal that causes this magical transformation? No one knows. But popular scientific theories include fairies, aliens, or of course, a mini Big Bang. I think it's fairies. No human rights? Human rights. No human rights? Human rights. Makes sense. Thanks, Magical Birth Canal. Science. Logic. Magic. Human rights. What if it's a C-section? So, first question, how did you get involved in the pro-life movement to begin with? I think I met you in 2015 on our No to Trudeau tour going across Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was awesome. Um, yeah, that was right before we started Choice for Two. And I, yeah, I had honestly not met anyone from the pro-life movement at all until I met you then. That was the first time. Okay. And yeah, and I didn't even know um, that like there was this whole movement out there, which is crazy. Um, I got involved because I was volunteering at my local pregnancy resource center. Okay. Kind of the first thing that I actually did. And then, yeah, Choice for Two came out of that. So there's a couple of different things I was curious about. First of all, when you joined the pro-life movement without realizing that there was a movement to join to begin with, (laughs) 
what honestly was your impression? Because it, it's interesting to me that there's so many people out there who join the movement and have never actually heard of the pro-life movement, which speaks to to me, as somebody who works in the pro-life movement, to a failure of the movement to actually get ourselves out there and to actually reach a large enough number of Canadians that we're making an impact. Yeah, I feel like everyone has been doing way better since then uh, with the social media stuff. Right. Um, yeah. But I honestly, like I went to U of T, I did my undergrad and my master's there, not knowing there was any pro-life group on campus, never saw them, didn't know they existed. And I ended up getting involved in a uh, prostitution outreach. Okay. As like, yeah, as like, that was the most, uh, the closest thing almost to it because there are, you know, there are a lot of, yeah. So I didn't even know that there was a club. So going back a little bit, almost every single pro-lifer I know has this moment when they first realized what abortion was and when abortion went from this sort of abstraction to something that ended up convicting them to join. I had Scott Klusendorf on this podcast a few months earlier, and he said nobody joins the pro-life movement. They're summoned into it. And I know anybody who follows your social media knows that abortion has kind of chewed away big chunks of your life as well. What was that moment for you when you realized you had to join the pro-life movement and you had to be speaking out for preborn children? Uh, well, I, I, I first saw a graphic image when I was a little kid. Okay. So it has honestly always been on my mind. Um, How little? Like two. Oh, Wow. I was out doing the choice chain with my parents. Okay. And so I saw, yeah. So I saw, that was the first time I saw it and it always stuck with me and my kind of like, Oh my goodness, I need to like, I need to start choice for two. Um, came out of my first experience at the pregnancy resource center, counseling a woman who, you know, came in, found out she was pregnant at the center. It was my, it was my first time. And she basically left from that meeting saying, okay, sign me up for post-abortion counseling oh, um, wow. because yeah, because I'm like, I'm going to do this. And that just like hit me because I did everything that I had been told to do. <laughs> right. So like in my mind, I'm like, this should have gone so differently. But the way that I spoke to her is almost completely opposite from the way I speak to women now. So. Yeah, so I want to get into that, and that will be some of the more controversial stuff, but it's stuff that I find extremely interesting because there's so many different theories inside the pro-life movement about how best to talk to women. Um, So to to rewind just a little bit then, you had experience in the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement, and then you joined, or you basically founded this group called Choice for Two, uh, which can be found at choicefor2.com, which was basically sort of a landing pad for every single pastoral organization or outreach center in the country. So first of all, what first gave you the idea to start this specific outreach? And then second of all, um, how did it take off so much? Because again, like the number of stories you have per week about the women that you're talking to, uh, you're you're far beyond just a simple um, network of, of connections. You talk to a lot of women yourself now. So what was the evolution of, of you launched and then you basically turned into somebody who's doing a lot of the pastoral work yourself. So I like the whole 
concept of the database came out of Canada, just not really having that. Right. Um, there was, yeah, like CLC had one and it wasn't up to date. Like, like they know that. So <laughs> they, they link to ours now. So I just thought like that, that's not good enough for yeah. women searching and they were connecting to the abortion clinics. So yeah. that's where the whole idea really came out of just being smart online. Yeah. And it took off because I guess through the social media, like our website, you're not really going to come across it unless you're a Canadian, Canadian searching for abortion or pregnancy stuff. Right. Um, the social media is where we really reach people. And we are now worldwide connecting with women. Um, so that's been interesting because it, if it's a Canadian, it's so easy for us to find her local help. We just go to our own database. Um, worldwide, it's different. And yeah, it took off because I don't think there was anyone kind of doing this. So right, uh, just obviously like out there doing it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, because it wasn't just Campaign Life Coalition either. Uh, I work for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, as you know, and we had a page where we tried to accumulate all of the different pastoral organizations, which we abandoned once you came out with yours because it was so much more comprehensive. But you started this all in your spare time. You still don't work, unlike what most people think, you don't work full time for a pro-life organization. You do this in your so-called spare time. So starting off, getting choice for two, uh, when did you switch from an organization that started off as just a network because it didn't exist to doing the videos that ended up making choice for two sort of go viral? The, the, the most viral one still being, I believe, the first one, which is the Magical Birth Canal video. And what's interesting to me about what was the, what, what the most interesting thing to me about that video was, was that you took a lot of the sarcasm and the irony that pro-lifers talk about behind closed doors when they're hanging out, right? When, when they're like, they, we use, like when we're talking to somebody on the streets, we're really focused on apologetics. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you're like, that was such a stupid argument. And you kind of make a sarcastic comment about how dumb that was about a magical birth canal or whatever. And then suddenly you put out this very short, very witty video clip that goes viral. Uh, and it's been kind of happening ever since. And so you take, you take these concepts that the pro-life movement has known about for years, but you're the first one to basically um, make sarcasm, pro-life sarcasm go viral and use it as an educational tool. So I have a bunch of questions, but the first one being, how did you get the idea? It's it, it's one of those ideas that once somebody does it, you're like, why did nobody think about doing that before? Um, so how did you come up with the idea for starting these videos to begin with? I just, looking at uh kind of what what is working online with like mainstream media and the kind of stuff people watch and the kind of stuff people like and just kind of like what i was watching like taking this, right. what i would actually click on and that the whole thing just came out of because you know theater and that whole side of me yeah it all just fit together really well i'm very sarcastic so and the the funny thing like the just saying it's really yeah. irritating because like, that's actually just me. Like I say, it, I always say it all the time. Like, right. and so I still say it and people think I'm like trying to be funny or something, but I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's just like, <laughs> that's just where it all came from. Yeah. So you came up with the idea, you started writing a script. What was that like when the video came out and then it went nuts? Like I remember seeing it like an hour or two after it came out. And I think there were several translations within the first day. I was just in Austria at the March for Life there, and everybody had heard about you. They think your hair is actually pink. Uh, they thought your videos were pretty cool. 
Um, so what was it like a day or two later realizing that this was a new phenomenon? It was brand new, not just to the Canadian pro-life movement, but nobody had done this before. Nobody again had made pro-life sarcasm go viral in a way that kind of cleverly punctured pro-choice arguments. Because, I, one, yeah, one of the reasons I think it did so well is because it's it was there's very few pro-life projects that are so groundbreaking um, because very few pro-life projects are brand new. Right. Most organizations are trying to improve on on tried and true tactics that have already been done uh, for years, if not for decades. Nobody had tried this before. When did you realize this was going to be a hit that you were going to have to spend a lot more time on than you'd planned to? Uh, well, this this like the magical birth canal was the second one in the series. And the first one does not have pink hair. Um, so we made the magical birth canal trying to make a viral video like we looked at what happened with the first one and we were like okay that was the first like sarcastic one and that was a it was good and then we thought okay like what could we do and then i mean just the idea the magical birth canal idea was really you know like one of one of a kind really like i don't think we'll ever come up with one better than that like maybe i hope but um it was just it was a good one right so just all of that put together the pink hair it just yeah it just worked well, it worked as well because it it basically encapsulated the best argument that we use on the streets as well, right? There was a there was a baby recently um, in the United States where the doctors removed the child from the womb at a very young age, did surgery on the child's back for spine bifida, and put them back in the womb. Well, based on the pro-abortion worldview, both in the U.S. and here, it means that baby would have had no human rights. They took it out; it would have had human rights, and then back in. No human rights. So the reason I think that video struck a chord is because that's quite literally the argument that they're making. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Right. Yeah, I know. that. I know it's crazy. That is what they're saying. So we just wanted to show how crazy that is. So what kind of reaction have you gotten since then? Because your online presence has kind of exploded. And it's kind of funny because I talked to you quite a bit prior to this all starting. So I knew you was the head of Choice for Two, right. which was working on on the pastoral side. But uh, there's a couple of couple of things that are interesting. So you have the pastoral side of things. You do the sarcastic videos. Then you do the testimony videos, which Choice for Two also produces uh, on on everything from forced abortion to abortion regret to women who are just overwhelmed with happiness that they didn't have abortions. And then you spend a lot of time talking personally to women who are planning to have abortions. And this isn't your full time job. So I'd love to know, I, 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 and I, I mean this genuinely as somebody who actually knows you personally, I would love to know how you actually managed to do that because I run out of time to do everything I need to do and I actually work full-time in the pro-life movement. So how do you figure it out? Well, um, I am doing a lot of time. I'm just, it's just not a job because I'm not paid for it. So I actually left my job at the opera company um, to do this because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do two. Right. And like, fortunately, that was an option. Um, and so, yeah, I am putting a lot of time into it, but also there's, um, like I have a team of people and yeah, who are so key. Like this year we really got the team together and it's amazing because everything just exploded and I couldn't do it without them. Yeah. So tell me what the creative process is like for the videos. Um, I've, I've heard you say before too, I have a great idea. It's just percolating. I'm going to figure this out. So what happens? You have an idea, you make a note on your cell phone or a napkin, and then you basically just mess around with it till you're happy. Or how does it go from something you thought of to something that shows up on a viral video? Yeah. I, I usually come up with the idea cause I'm irritated with 
someone or something, you know, like some argument someone's yep. bringing to me. I'm like, that is just, <laughs> so uh, that's where they've all come from. And then, yeah, just get the idea, start writing. Actually found the uh, original, my first original thought for the magical right. birth canal on a little piece of paper the other day. And it was <laughs> kind of funny because it was so different than what actually the video ended up being. Um, yeah, exactly that. Just think on it, change it. And then when I'm happy with the script and we figure out, you know, who we might need or what we might need, then we just do it. Yeah. Most of my best ideas come when I'm irritated or annoyed as well. So I'm kind of really, <laughs> so from my understanding with choice for two as both a network with basically a social media arm, creating these videos is you weren't originally in a position where you were directly counseling women, but you've said that you're, you talk to women who are considering abortion now all the time. How did that aspect of your work sort of crop up? Because I know that you do it almost every week and sometimes every day. Yeah, it is daily now. But uh, yeah, it's odd. So we set up Choice for Two kind of yeah. with the idea that women would go that route. And if they're needing help, we that's, you know, great. And we have people ready on our team to answer that. Yeah. But now, yeah, so now, like me personally online, I'm kind of more harsh. <laughs> and uh you know, like, don't kill your baby. Like, yeah. I'll help you. Don't kill your baby. I'll help you. And that message really seems to be resonating because women are contacting me directly about that. Like, I, oh, okay, I don't want to kill my baby. You said you'd help. So, and then it just goes from there. And so you're actually seeing women respond to that language on social media and contact you. Cause that's a different thing. I know, let me put it this way. There are crisis pregnancy centers, uh, with, you know, million dollar facilities who are waiting for people to walk in through the doors and almost nobody walks in through the doors, right? I've, I've talked to a lot of people who work in crisis pregnancy centers and some of them will tell me that they're lucky if they see a dozen people in a year and frequently the people that they speak with aren't abortion minded, right? They're people who are showing up because they're responding to an offer for help, which is amazing. But this means that just from a, just from a damage control anti-abortion perspective, there are a lot of very expensive centers that aren't limiting the number of abortions. It means that there's, there's not babies ending up in cradles and not dumpsters because of the work that they're doing. And you're on social media, not in a, not in a multi-million dollar center, and you've got people contacting you through, you know, Facebook Messenger, and you're managing to talk them out of having an abortion and connect with them. So I'm kind of I'm really interested to hear why are they contacting you? Like how are how is a woman seeking an abortion stumbling across your page? And then two, what are you doing when you're having conversations with them? Because again. Um, well, I can't say that the language that you use online is harsh because uh, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, we use the pictures of abortion victims. And there's statistics indicating that when those photos get used, even in a counseling context, in the right context, of course, uh, they're tremendously effective. And there's a lot of CPCs who use them in Latin America. Um, but how, how, how are they contacting you and how are you talking to them? Because this is something I, know, I think a lot of people look at it as a really cost-effective way of reaching women if they can figure out how you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. I think we're just in a really unique situation because the popularity of the Just Saying videos really gives us a lot more exposure. Right. Um, and so there's that going for it. And then women, like I had this woman, like case in point right here, I was, I just put something out on the internet about how, you know, something a little kid had said to me, actually, um, abortion is when a mommy murders her baby or kills her baby. Um, and I posted that cause I was just like, 
whoa, like it's so true. And uh, so this woman messaged me um, and she said, you know, I just found out I was pregnant, literally now in the washroom. I just like, peed on a stick and found out I'm pregnant. And I knew I can't do it. I have other kids. I just, I pulled up my phone to look for an abortion clinic. I opened it and my Facebook was up. And the first thing I saw was that post. And she was like, and I read it and she was like, and you're right. And I can't, and I can't do it. Um, so thank you for like speaking this truth because mm. like, so d- and that happens kind of quite often, which is, you know, cool. I guess God's doing that, um, yeah, but like true. putting putting the right things up at the right time. Um, and also, yeah, it does surprise me that that because that's not what we're told. That's not what I was told when I started counseling women that, you know, you say these harsh things. And, you know, I didn't say that directly to her. Like I, you know, that wasn't calling her out directly. Um, but I do when I'm when I'm talking with women. Um, and they say, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm not sure what to do. Like the first thing I say to them is like, okay, like take a deep breath. Killing your child should not be an option in this situation. Let's yeah. just take that off the table right now. Like, you know, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. It's wrong to kill babies and let's take it from there. And that's kind of how things usually go. Yeah. And that's really interesting because I I know that there's multiple different perspectives on how to do counseling most effectively. I think the thing for me is I know in certain scenarios that women have left certain centers where they never actually got told what abortion was going to do to their baby before they left. And so I understand that there there are different valid theories for counseling, but the idea that we, if we have the opportunity to talk to them, would allow them essentially to walk into an abortion clinic without ever having told them what abortion was going to do to their baby, that seems like a pretty massive failure on the part of our movement because we, as far as I understand it, and I'm sure people can uh, let me know otherwise in the comments, like we exist to make abortion happen less. Yeah. We exist to make sure that babies who are going to be killed aren't killed. And so if 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 we're if we're just there to walk with people whatever the, their circumstances are, um for me there's many organizations who do that, but the pro-life organizations are here to to make abortions happen less. So I'm just sort of interested. I know you've had a lot of, of discussions about this. What's your perspective on on the pastoral approach? And, and I'm being intentionally vague here because I don't want to call anybody out. For me, this is a conceptual discussion about, about and I have, I have views on all kinds of pro-life strategies that I'm sure many people disagree with me on. But for me, the idea that we would let somebody walk into a clinic without telling them what abortion does to their baby, it's, kinda, it's just kind of nuts to me, to be honest. It's completely unacceptable. Yeah, I, that blows my mind. That's not at all what we should be doing, you know? And because also that's not loving, uh, the woman's gonna right. go through with the abortion then, and she's gonna realize maybe immediately, maybe later on down the road. But um, it's gonna hit her as to what what yeah. she's done, and so you're not doing her any favors dancing around what abortion actually is. Yeah, I'm all about just truth. Like you can say it lovingly, you know. You're not gonna like scream at people and stuff. Right. Um, but definitely, like who who ultimately, you know, is the victim here? Who doesn't have a voice in this situation? That's who we need to be speaking out for. That's right. Yeah. 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 So um, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on something else mildly controversial, simply because I've seen you address it first online. I wanted you to, I wanted to ask you about this before I saw you say anything about it. But one of the things I found in churches of every denominational stripe, 
on the abortion issue. And I think everybody who joins the pro-life movement and starts doing pro-life activism has this brief period of time where they're kind of frustrated that nobody else seems to really care all that much, right? I remember one of the slogans of, of, of Operation Rescue that I really, really loved, which was, if abortion is murder, act like it. Um, like what, what do, what does our actions tell the rest of the world about abortion? And one of the questions I asked at a conference I spoke at recently, and it was, I was giving a speech just to men, which me, meant I could browbeat them, um, more severely than usual because <laughs> it was an all male crowd. And I just said, if all of your neighbors and all of your friends took abortion as seriously as you do, what would that mean for the preborn babies who live in your area? Would it mean something or would it mean nothing? Because if... If for a lot of us, I think if, if if those around us took abortion just as seriously as we did, that would mean nothing. Um, and abortion would be just as prevalent as it is. And I, I have struggled with the fact that most churches are more likely to tell uh, somebody they can be forgiven for having an abortion than to warn them against having one to begin with, which seems sort of strange. So what is your take on that, first of all? Although I suspect I know the answer to that. And then what would you say to people who genuinely want to know how to begin to speak out about this in the church context? Ooh, yeah. So, yeah, we've been having our fun with churches ever since we started Choice for Two. Mm -hmm. Um, We sent out, you know, mass email to all of the evangelical churches in Canada that we could get. And we got... uh, (laughs) go to hell messages back from pastors. We got FU messages. Yeah. So um, there are many pastors that don't want to touch this issue. They don't understand it. They don't want to offend women. Uh, And yeah, they're just going along being useless. And it's so frustrating. So um, I found there's even recently a local church here. I ended up meeting with a pastor who quit. She she it's a pentecostal church she'd quit after 16 years because her pastor wouldn't let her discuss abortion um and so she quit because she couldn't go to a church like that and the pastor then i was talking with him and he was kind of like you know i support you as a you know what you're doing for women and you do your thing over there and we'll do our thing over here which apparently is nothing and together we can make a difference and it's just so frustrating because it's like that's garbage that's nothing Mm -hmm. um the church here in canada really needs an awakening on this issue so i saw you guys had a new initiative coming out right speaking to the churches i love that we're always working on ways to, to, yeah, to get in and have conversations with the churches. And it is difficult because you want to do the most effective thing in terms of you want to ensure that the largest number of people are willing to listen to you and to get in. But we we have have found what well, it's that famous quote from Francis Schaeffer, right, where he said that every abortion clinic should have a sign that says here by permission of the church. And that just seems to be largely the case. And the reason I say that is because of the number of women I have met that go to church and had abortions without anybody ever warning them, one. So one, they never heard at any point in their lives that they shouldn't have one, Um, which to them was tacit permission, because if their church believed that abortion was the killing of a preborn child, you'd think that might have come up at some point. And then secondarily, most people are afraid to tell them that it's sin. 
and that because uh, that, that's what it is from the Christian from from the secular perspective, it's killing a human being and it's a human rights violation. And from the Christian perspective, it's obviously one of the most heinous sins that you can actually. Uh, commit because one of the points I've made before is that there's a lot of people who say abortion today is like child sacrifice back in the day. They, but I actually think it's worse because child sacrifice back then was like the pagan tribes and at times Israel sacrificing their children because their children were the most valuable thing they could sacrifice. And today we give up our children like they mean nothing. So we are actually worse than them because they were at least doing it out of this perverse recognition that their their children were the most valuable thing they had, and we throw ours in the garbage like they aren't worth anything at all, which makes us worse than what they did back then. But I'm sort of interested to hear, I notice you've had a lot of discussions um, with Christian women as well about the approach on this. What do you find is most effective when you're talking to people about why Christians should care about abortion? What do you find most effective in your conversations? Hmm. Most effective. I mean, just being straightforward, like people don't, don't seem to, they don't understand what abortion is. So you kind of have to go back to the basics with them. Um, and also every time that I get the opportunity, like within my church, because my church is awesome and super supportive, um, to go up and say something. And I'm usually pretty harsh. Um, women from my church, come up to me and say like, I've had, I've had an abortion and like, right. can we talk about this? And like, there's that whole other side of it where if you just ignore this, women are not going to be ever uh, figuring out how they can like heal from this and right. find true forgiveness from it, which is huge. Um, I don't know. We actually have a guy on our team now who his job <laughs> is going to be to try and get choice for two into the churches. Okay. You should talk to him. Yeah, because he's, yeah, he's got, he's awesome. He's very blunt. He's very straightforward. And I'm excited to see what's going to be happening with that starting now. Yeah. So when you put put out these videos, one of the things I was really interested in, because I went through a lot of the comments and I spent a lot of time keeping in touch with the pro-life movement worldwide, um, internationally. So I know that your videos have been used in Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, most of Europe. And one of the things I was really interested in is, do you see these videos as, as sort of a really high quality version of pro-life comedy, like almost a pro-life version of funny or die that kind of cleverly skewers the opposition or are they used in an apologetic way? Do you see people changing their minds about abortion because of the magical birth canal or changing their mind about abortion? Well, the magical birth canal, I think, was the most bang on video because it targeted their main argument, which is why it'll probably be hard to top simply because you can only take on the main argument once. But my favorite video actually was the one where you went through all the pictures of the babies in the womb and got confused about which one was conceived through rape and which one didn't, because that, I think, made the most powerful point to my mind. Do you see people changing their minds as a result of seeing these videos? Um, They're being used as an educational tool and uh, a lot in the schools, which is cool. I get a lot of messages. No kidding. Yeah, from teachers saying they've showed this in their class and discussed it. And I get a lot of messages from high school students who um, said it was like their first introduction to kind of the whole issue, which is awesome. Um, And so have that opportunity to connect that way. So yeah, it's resonating with uh, teenagers. No kidding. People are using it in schools. Yeah. Yeah. So how many more videos do you have planned in the Just Saying series? 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long it'll go. Just whenever we get ideas, we have filmed one that's being edited right now. So okay. that should, that should be out soon. Um, that was pretty spicy. I'm, I'm almost like scared, to <laughs> but it will, it will be good. And then I don't know. We'll see. Like, I mean, if they're still being received well, then, and we have good arguments, then I'm not sure how many more we'll do. So this is a question I ask everybody that works in the pro-life movement, especially in the sort of way that you do when you're actually dealing with life and death scenarios all the time. And I've had conversations on Facebook before with people who were contemplating an abortion. And it's really strange to be doing something so normal, like messaging somebody on Facebook with the knowledge that if you get the conversation wrong, they might actually go through with it. And I, I've had to remind myself uh, in in conversations in general over the past decade or so in the pro-life movement that it's not all up to me and that there's only so much that I can do because if you let the full weight of the life and death decision rest on just what you say, you'll go nuts at some point because that's too much pressure for one person to handle. So you've said now that you're talking to women who are considering abortions every day. Is that right? Yeah. How do you handle doing that every day and not let it sort of crush you? Because... At a certain point, one of the things that's difficult for a lot of pro-lifers, I know Dr. Monica Miller, who I've had on this podcast, has said this, is that it's very hard to live a normal life in the knowledge that you live in the society that you do. And how are you supposed to, you know, fold laundry or, you know, vacuum or do whatever when, you know, you're messaging somebody who could kill their baby if you don't get back to them fast enough or you don't say the right thing. So how do you cope with that pressure both practically and then in your brain, like not letting your brain go crazy? Um, yeah, I find that the, the strangest thing about that pressure, well, I mean, it's probably the most obvious. It just makes it really hard to relate to people like my yeah. normal everyday people, because I'm like, you, oh, great. You, you know, you went to your office job today. When you start referring to other people as normal, everyday people, that's when it's, it's really set in. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like the, it's just frustrating and hard and that's weird. But, um, I guess, yeah, just God, like, I feel like this is a job that's been given to me. And so then I will be equipped to do it. Um, and it does, it does get really hard. And I, this year had like the hardest one situation, um, with this girl who's actually local and who, I kind of know and was talking with her for a long time. And I had, I have ultrasound pictures of her second trimester baby on my phone. And um, she went and got an abortion um, well into the second trimester. And that was just like, that was the worst. (laughs) That was a, that was a really hard one. Um, Yeah. Just, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I don't know how you're supposed to properly deal with the stress of that, of like knowing, yeah. oh, a baby just got torn apart today. Um, I don't know what the right way to deal with that is. No, I don't think anybody does, which is why it would be interesting if you'd figured out a way, because yeah. it is, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is just very, very strange when you, when you look around and life is so normal, but you know, babies are ending up in dumpsters in incinerators and biohazardous waste buckets, like Canada being the only Western democracy that allows abortion up until birth. And it is, I don't blame people for thinking that pro-lifers are a bit crazy sometimes, because if you're not aware of what abortion actually is and what it actually does, everything does seem so normal, right? This is the, this is the largest human rights violation 
that has happened with Oda Trace, uh, to refer to Dr. Monica Miller again, because I just hung out with her again at a conference in Michigan. She actually said, she said, I get kept up at night by the weirdest questions like, where do you put 65 million corpses? And it's true because they're just gone, right? In Canada, it's just shy of 4 million. And, and where did they all go? And then why doesn't anybody else get kept up at night thinking the same questions? Um, I know. <laughs> yeah, there's something really messed up with that particular question, actually. We have, yeah, I'll have to talk to you off air about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've been through I've been through dumpster clinics, so I or dumpsters behind clinics, so I know where some of them go. But we'll we'll talk about that one. Uh, we'll talk about that one soon. I got two uh, two other questions um, that I think uh, I'd be really interested to hear what you personally have to say because one of the things we've been doing on this podcast is talking to pro life activists, everybody from Scott Klusendorf, Ryan Baumberger, right? Because everybody has. It's always interesting to me that everybody has different experiences. Almost all of them are crazy by the standards of normal. Right. You've got Monica Miller, who has handled over 2000 dead babies out of clinics. You've got Joe Scheidler, who's still doing pro-life activism in his 90s. You know, he started doing activism when he marched with Dr. King on Selma. Um, you've got Scott Klusendorf, who pretty much invented the field of pro-life apologetics in the practical sense. And but there's these similarities for everybody um, at the same time. And so my first question is, what is when you look at at your career in the pro-life movement, if I can call it that, even though it's not a career per se. And I think most people would say um, they see it as a calling rather than a career. What is the one or two experiences you look back on that really have kept you going? That days when you're just so busy, you've got so much other stuff on your plate. You know, you wish you could just go out for, you know, martini night with your friends. Uh, and be normal as opposed to going out with your friends and wondering how they can spend all this time caring about things that matter so little. What are the experiences that you go back to and are like, these are the things that really make it worth it for me. This is why I keep doing this. Well, definitely just the women choosing life, which fortunately most of them do and being sent the baby pictures. And I think that there's, well, so for the first time, like really local to me, there's a baby that's going to be born next month. Um, and I'm going to get to meet her. And so that I feel like is going to be so epic. Like I'm so excited. Is that the first time you've met a baby that you helped save? In person? Yeah. Yeah, Because they're worldwide. Yeah. And yeah, this will be the first one that's right here. So, um, that's going to be really awesome. I remember the first time it happened to me, I don't think that I ever experienced something so phenomenal and so amazing until I got to hold my daughter for the first time. That's the only thing in my life that's topped it. Yeah. Babies. I know. I, 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 I'm so looking forward to this kid being born. Mm-hmm. This, <laughs> this mom has been through everything. Yeah. It was such a, she was like one of those ones where you're just like, yeah, come on. Like you can do this. And she, she's doing it. So the, uh, <laughs> The final question I have for you is going to be kind of, it's kind of funny, but I've discovered that this works. So one of the things that's been frustrating to me is that despite the fact that everybody talks about how, you know, uh, the pro-life movement is all old white men, et cetera, it's actually very difficult to recruit men to the pro-life movement. Um, and that's for a, a wide variety of reasons, but 
one of the reasons is is that I think men just think that other people can deal with it. The culture is telling them to keep their mouths shut. But what I have found, uh, I just gave a talk actually uh, in Austria on why men have a duty to to join the pro-life movement and why the pro-life movement needs the skills of both men and women because they look at things so differently, they deal with things so differently. And so you need both worldviews, both mindsets, both skill sets um, in order to really reach the culture. Uh, a culture that incidentally is filled with men and women. So you as a female pro-life activist, what would you say to men who aren't in the pro-life movement about why they should join? Yeah, well, and what other human rights violation are the men told to sit up and, you know, shut up and sit down? It's ridiculous. It's a human rights violation. It's not a women's rights issue. Yeah, men need to, you know, there's a guy um, who I came in contact with last week about our event that's coming up on Saturday. And he was like, oh, but it's, it's, it's a women's thing, right? It's going to be all women. And I like, oh, <laughs> I went crap. Nah, no, it's a human rights violation. And you as a man should be there and all this. And I kind of scared him into like signing up and he's coming now, which is awesome. So yeah, I love that you're out there speaking to the men. So needed. That's probably, you know, aside from the churches uh, allowing this to happen, this has also been men allowing this to happen. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen when the men actually show up. That's a great place to leave it. Where can people find all of your work for those who haven't heard of you? Choice42.com and all of the social media with Choice42 or my personal Laura Clausen stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Laura Clausen of Choice42. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We hope you'll join us next week. You can head over to LifeSiteNews.com if you want to see, listen to our past interviews, read commentary on the pro-life and pro-family movement from around the world. We'll have another informative and interesting interview uh, for you next week. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening and for watching.